to another episode of Trial by Fire. I'm here with my host, Jeremias. How are you doing, man? I'm good. I'm sunburnt and a little bit bummed, but at the same time happy that we've had such good warm weather uh, this, this last week. But yeah, spring is coming on quickly here, but it's it's nice at the same time, but it's also a little bit uh, frustrating. It's I guess it's kind of bittersweet, isn't it? Like at this point in the year, particularly for me, I kind of have, have, have had enough of the snow. But at the same time, I understand that right. there's still money to be made in regards to tourism this time of the year for guests and stuff. And I think it's it's an unusually warm March. Uh, from what I understand in this part of the world right now. I mean, for for us, this time of the year is where we more or less stop doing tours and just go out ourselves. So it's more that okay. that's being affected. Our, our own personal trips, like the trips to the mountains. Hannah, this weekend, Hannah is going to the mountains with a friend for four days. Um, and the conditions in the mountains aren't as good as they used to be or usually are. So the, there's that that disappears. The guests got all the good weather, did they? Yeah, yeah, sort of. <laughs> yeah, I guess you you guys probably need a realignment this time of year when after coming out of the busy winter season, and then obviously you do a lot of work on river maintenance and stuff in the summer. So I I would imagine this is your kind of your recalibration kind of period. It's one way to look at it, but I, I it, it's um, it's not necessarily about calibrating. It is more about staying. Uh, true and connected to the reasons why we have dogs and why we do what we do because we don't we we never got dogs because we wanted to drive tourists around we got dogs because we wanted to have dogs driving tourists around is a fantastic way of Mm. making sure that we can spend every single day of the winter together with the dogs um yes i heard someone recently say with regards to like owning dogs it's like everybody wants to be a dog musher but without having to actually bring people out <laughs> it's like how do i get paid to be a dog musher without having to bring tourists out yeah <laughs> you like... have to be uh independent independently wealthy or right. get good good finances and uh, time for them from somewhere yeah 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 well i mean i guess it's um for people who are listening this is coming we're coming off uh a week where um well a couple of weeks actually been quite busy on some different trips um the, the first of this month uh i was with uh miko in caro survival which is down in north karelia which is in uh, the uh, eastern part of finland here on the russian uh finnish kind of coast or, or uh, border and i spent a week learning some skills from him some some really valuable things that i had never really tried before or at least hadn't had a much of it much of a chance to really properly push in a safe environment like for example skiing and ice fishing and yeah just some other things building some uh, shelters in the snow and things stuff that i had never really tried before and we have i had managed to get an interview with miko which you guys are going to hear in this episode for me something that uh allowed me to actually kind of for for the first time in a long time actually recalibrate again there's that word again recalibrate like sort of my thinking behind like or why i kind of like to be outside or what it is that we're trying to do and it was really nice to have that mindset because the following week jeremias and hannah and i ran our arctic experience uh, weekend 
and it was really nice to kind of like go into that week with this certain mindset that I had picked up, which we, which I will talk to you guys about. But um, how did you, how did you find the week, Jeremias? Was it what you, or the weekend rather, was it what you had expected? I really, really enjoyed it. Like working with um, tourists is a lot of fun, but it's a very short snapshot that they get. And not everyone is interested in learning more or knowing more about the lifestyle or what it takes to be up here or what you need to think about, you know, all of these things that we went over uh, during the weekend. Not everyone is interested in that. And it's something that both Han and I are, are passionate about to uh, share with people if, if they're interested. So it's always nice to have this group of people that we had now this weekend that we had set up and the questions just kept coming in during the weekend. It was never a, 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 this dull moment, for lack of a better term, where it fe- felt like everything was said. The discussions were sort of endless and very open to, to all sorts of different, different perspectives. And it's very nice to have those conversations because I I think I've said it in another episode that my relationship to all of these things, uh, bushcraft, if you will, is very online based just because of where I do live. So it was nice to have more people that have a not necessarily similar perspective, but maybe have a viewpoint that is a little bit more similar or a little bit more, yeah, similar, I guess is the right word, a little bit more similar to what I would define as bushcraft. So talking to people up here, what, 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 whatever that word means, it's camping or it's hunting or it's fishing or it's all of those things together. So it's not, it's not as defined. So it's nice to, to sit down and talk to these people that have a similar perspective of what it might be and then all the discussions and questions that come after that or how it relates to living up here absolutely I, I mean for me some of the most interesting parts of the weekend were like just dinner time meal time time to sit down and talk and share ideas and i think the conversations that we had in the evening times or, uh, or at lunchtime and stuff they were the that was really the stuff that uh really made me feel as though we were kind of on the right path with something or we're on the right sort of mentality with something. Um, and it's interesting because Jamie obviously runs his own bushcraft school in the UK, Hell Bushcraft. Um, and it's really nice to hear that, you know, the way in which that we are kind of trying to approach these things that we're not focusing it on gear or survival skills. And by survival skills, I say that in like inverted commas or quotations rather, but like, it was, it's not really about survival. It's not about the kit. It's not about the the skills that are superfluous, like let's say bow drilling and, and things like that. I, I really liked that we framed it in a way that was um, realistic to the lifestyle and something that, again, like I was saying, it kind of really aligned with the week I had spent with Miko because when I was talking to him, he was saying like, look, this stuff isn't rocket science. It's not. If it was, then everybody would be dead right now. Like, you know, the people that live up here were just, these are just like the people that practice these skills for years and years and years and years. They're just regular people doing their, 
work, doing their jobs, feeding their homesteads, whatever it might be. And it kind of, for me, that recalibrated my brain. I was like, oh man, that makes so much sense to me because what frustrates me about courses, and of course, everybody has their own way of doing things, but what frustrates me about a lot of courses is that they make it seem so scary and complicated that it's like, you need to come to me in order for me to teach you how to do these things because without these skills that I can teach you, you will die. If you go out to the woods and you get lost, you will die, you know? And it's simply not the case. One of the most interesting parts of the week was actually just, or weekend, I should say, was actually just walking with you guys on your land and particularly like around down near your hunting cabin because it's very obvious that you know that, that like, landscape inside out you're able to tell people exactly what's under here why this tree has like a big scar on it because the ice has like come up and then it's protruded and then it's like you know receded in the springtime and dry you know and just like being able to see the different tracks and understand what they are and be able to see the very small things that i would just walk past and for me that's like the value the value is there in my opinion um, and that was really, really refreshing. And it's something that I hadn't really um, thought about or approached a course like that before in that way. So that that was for me quite nice. Yeah, I'm happy you enjoyed it. I really enjoyed it. I really enjoyed that walk too. And, and not necessarily because I think that I know a lot. It was more that people were actually interested. <laughs> I mean, do, 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 doing that same walk with Hannah, she's like, yeah, I know. I know. Oh, that's interesting. And like, she, she, she knows a lot of these things as well. So it's like, and I, I guess that that's, what's very, very nice with uh, this group of people um, coming from the UK and, and, and from Ireland is that it is a different biome that they're in it's a different environment that they're in so everything is sort of new and i personally like that not because i can tell it everyone how things are or, or what things are or anything like that it is more that the conversations that comes up in and around these things that i take for granted a lot a lot of the times that's what's really really interesting like we we were talking a little bit before with the downtimes we had in the afternoons that most people just went out skiing or snowshoeing and they had a blast and it was nothing that we had planned that's something that i take for granted i can go out and do that now if i wanted to but i don't feel like it but then we have these people coming from from the uk and ireland that really really want to do that so it sort of ignites something in me that is that I start to appreciate these things that I on an everyday basis take for granted we had spoken about that before when when I was living in Imeln when the canoe was on the beach right outside your house every day it's almost it's quite it's almost more difficult to get out because you make excuses for yourself you say oh well sure look it's six o'clock I'm gonna make my dinner in half an hour maybe tomorrow and then of course something else comes up but when you're like coming and you've got a really concentrated period of like experiential like intention you know i think that those intense experiences of new environments are are so valuable like particularly to like our sort of like well for want of a better word sort of lifestyles um as sort of outdoors people or people outdoor enthusiasts people that are trying to 
learn new things. And and even I think I believe Brian after the course set up a new Facebook group called Human Powered Adventures or Human Powered Journeys. I think I should double check that because I'm going to find it. I want to give it a little shout out because it seems like it's going to be really interesting. Human Powered Adventures. Um, and I think I feel like I don't know, but I feel like part of that came from the week or the weekend we spent with you. Um, at least that's my impression of of why he kind of set that up, and and that's really nice. If 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 some if there's a new creative platform for people to share their adventures, be outside of this outside of the let's let's say skills and kit conversations. For me, that's really nice. Yeah, 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 for sure. I really like that uh, we had Patty and and Kieran decided to sleep outside every night during the course they had brought their own stuff to try out different ways sleeping everything from hammock to an ultralight uh, tp with a titanium stove to just a snow trench to just a bivy bag like they they went full on trying it out yeah they did right and and would they, you would you would expect them to maybe try and make themselves as comfortable as possible but in fact they were actually making themselves intentionally uncomfortable and i really like that i really like when people can come and like really push themselves and really like use that the opportunities in in new space to like really you know how would i do how would i do in that weather and now granted we did get some quite mild conditions a lot more mild than we had expected but you know that's just the weather but however fair fucks to the guys for like coming over with kit that they really wanted to try in those those conditions and gave it a shot and you can't you can't take that away from anybody no that was that was very nice and that's something in this interview that you guys are gonna hear very soon with uh, Mikko that he talked about uh that it's important that we have a connection to the cold, to the rain, to the wind in our face and all of these things to feel that we are actually connected. So we don't shelter ourselves from the natural world and, and the implication it has on us weather-wise because that's just as much of a important connection to the natural world as, as anything. If we don't know how we how we feel when we're cold or if we don't have a relationship to these things that's a huge chunk of being outside that is lost like feeling how it is to be in a swarm of mosquitoes feeling how it is when it's raining sideways and blowing in your face so feeling how it is when you're minus 25 that's that's all a part of being a human on the landscape and it's nothing that we should shy away from it's something that we should try and work towards getting an understanding of more than anything else i totally agree i mean these the only thing i can think of to compare it to is let's say like an ice plunge for example or somebody who is intentionally exposing themselves to really cold conditions you know the sense of invigoration that that brings to your body is if you can brave it it's it's it feels absolutely amazing and i think on a almost like a micro dosing sort of level with these sort of things. I think the, those things can feel just as important or just as rewarding when you like achieve something like exposing yourself or getting through a really cold night by figuring out like why your kit wasn't working or figuring out the problem and solving it. Or yeah, just like those are the times that I kind of feel the most, um, part of the experience that i'm 
uh, trying to undertake that it's not about me like trying on 15 layers of Gore-Tex to protect my my skin from getting wet. It's one of the things that, again, I really enjoyed about Miko's sort of um, mentality or lifestyle or not mentality, but sort of attitude towards these things. Like the fact that, I mean, you're going to hear the interview, but the fact that we as people are trying to, on one hand, protect nature, but then on the other hand, like remove ourselves from it, that in and of itself is a, is something that I would like to reflect more on and try and be more, yeah, part of part of things. You know what I mean? Like understand where where we might sit at some point. I really enjoy what 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 he was talking about when he was talking about just that connection and removing protecting nature is very important, but protecting nature by removing people from the landscape is. Me personally, don't necessarily believe that that's the way to go. Of course, people are idiots. You can't you can't protect the world from idiots, and uh, it's important that we have a good relationship to the forests, the lakes, the oceans, and uh, whatever it is, and where we are part of it, not just bystanders. Bystanders. Um, because we're like whether 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 we like it or not, whether we agree on it or not, we are just as much part of this planet as the moose is. We're just as part much of an animal as the bear or anything. Sure, we have different technologies and everything, and and, and might have advanced, but we are a part of the ecosystem, whether we like it or not. It is how we relate ourselves to that ecosystem that is going to be positive or negative most of the time it's been fairly negative of course but it doesn't mean that we should remove people from the landscape completely because that wouldn't then then we would lose all reasons to to continue to have the landscapes there he says it puts it in a very very good perspective of that none of these like survival skills or anything like that is rocket science and i completely agree with him there's of course a lot of nuances and details that you can go into to not necessarily make it hard but you can make it very technical if that's something that you like in how to make a pot hanger for example or how many knots do you need to be a outdoors person or how many like different carving techniques you need like but all in the end like all of these things are came up in a time from people with less sophisticated tools than we have now. Uh, sophisticated might not be the right word, but less uh, technologically advanced tools than we have now. Uh, less, n- less data-driven knowledge than we have now. So if they could do it and create us, essentially, that are sitting here talking on the internet over random things why is it seen as rocket science so he has some really good ideas right. and thoughts around that yeah no i i totally agree with you super interesting person and i am really well one i'm really happy to have met someone within my country new country that i live in uh, that has a really shared perspective on these things the way i do and the way that Yermias does it's uh, it's really really nice and really refreshing and 
I'm hoping to get out again soon with Miko probably in the summertime. Um, but if anybody's interested in doing a course with Miko, he runs a school called Karu Survival. That's K-A-R-U. I'll definitely put a link for that in the description of this um of this episode. Check him out. And if if you want to follow him on Instagram, Karu Survival, super genuine guy, super down to earth, really fun to talk to, very Finnish. <laughs> just, you'll hear you'll we'll talk you'll hear him now but uh yeah great great guy great interview and uh, and great fun so and also thank you so much um miko personally for inviting me down to the course it was it was a real pleasure to be there um and thank you to all of our guests who attended our course um i had such a blast and it was really really nice to meet some of the people uh in the in the in person i mean we've had jamie on this podcast twice and i believe we are going to get him on again soon now that we've all kind of met i think it would be a really nice energy between the three of us um get brian and stuff on as well that would be really cool to have those guys on because we had some really nice conversations over the course of that weekend that i would love to try and pluck out of my brain and replicate and and of course these guys also have really nice ideas um but uh but guys look thanks again for tuning in um i think once we get your uh, once we get jamie on soon uh, or brian that we're going to have a more in-depth conversation about how the guests felt about the course and um, we would i would like to kind of talk a little bit about more about it in depth um but for now uh i hope you enjoyed this interview with miko as as jeremy said really insightful guy definitely more in alignment to my way of thinking and and your amazing way of thinking so enjoy it and until next time guys uh, have a great week and we'll talk to you soon talk to you later all right so we're uh sitting in the what what's the name of this building it's like a, a firehouse but there's a finnish name for it that i really like Kota. Kota. yeah sitting Kota. In, in the Kota in the uh at the hunter's lodge that we uh, just finished a week-long or six-day Arctic bushcraft course with Karhus or Karu Survival. Yeah. I'm sitting here with uh, Miko. Um, Miko, thanks. It was awesome. <laughs> well, great week. Well, it's great that you were here. Yeah, I, I really enjoyed it. I think the thing, and it's something that we spoke about earlier, was like the the pace of the the course because it's a week long gives us this opportunity to really let things sit in to just to, to sit into the muscles and kind of like the skiing for example or uh you know really been able to slowly ramp up the the pressure because we had so much time to kind of work around those things was that like an intentional thing yeah the the idea of the long course is that first of all some of when you when it's uh, when the subject is like arctic survival mm. For many, that's a new, just because where they live, the environment just doesn't make it possible to do Arctic activities. So a lot of things are going to be new when you come here. Skiing, for example, if you are anywhere else than Scandinavia, probably skiing is not the most common thing you're doing Mm -hmm. in your free time. So that's why it gives us time to train it every day a little bit. Mm And that way also you are able to develop the skills yeah. needed. Yeah. And hopefully after that you are able to train also by yourself if you have a possibility for it. Mm-hmm. It also gives a possibility to repeat some things that we're doing. Yeah. I can teach you how to make fire in Arctic forest. But if I show it to you once and you do it once, it may not 
be uh, next time when you're doing it, it may not be in your mind anymore. Or you, so this way we can train, actually, like train the things mm -hmm. several times mm -hmm. so that you have a good memory or, well, it doesn't go maybe still to the muscle memory, mm -hmm. but you have a good idea how to do it. Yeah. So we get your knowledge in a level that is enough for you to remember the things later on and practice by yourself. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's great. And I think one of the other things, and I, maybe it's a Finnish thing, I don't know, but the there's a very sort of practical mindset that I haven't experienced in any other courses. It feels very... I mean, well, first of all, like, yeah, the pace is very relaxed, but it's not... But it's also still able to make it uncomfortable for you. Like, for so for someone like myself who is relatively used to being outside for in comparison to maybe some of the more fresher people that you might uh, teach, I still found the course challenging at times, like quite challenging in a lot of places, and um, but not in the places where I needed to learn something. It was places where I needed to test or practice the things that had been taught to me. Yeah, well, that is basically because the course is designed, so uh, I try to avoid bringing up courses which are constant tests for you. Yeah. I, I don't want to challenge you here. Right. I want to teach you here. If I want to challenge you, then it's going to be a totally different course. But then you need to already have the basic knowledge for it. Mm. If I challenge you at the same time I'm teaching you, you won't probably learn as much. Right. So I want you to focus on what you're doing, learn the stuff, and then after that I can test you a little I don't even call it challenging you, I, I just test you a little bit how well you know them. Mm. And then, because it's a long course, I can also re-evaluate the situation, do I need to go this through with you again, maybe next day, mm. because we still have time for it. Mm. Yeah, yeah, that's really, really nice. Um, could you tell us a little bit about your background? Because obviously, and it's interesting that you have almost a, an anti-sort of survivalist kind of approach to this, because it just feels natural, it's much more about enjoying the outdoors and stuff, but you, you kind of, you come from a military background. Yeah. Could you tell us a little bit about like where like where that crossover came from and, and kind of why you ended up in this sort of field? Well, uh, my background first of all, I come from the farm areas, rural, rural, uh, <laughs> rural Finland. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, from I ha my life has always been in the nature. I, I have done outdoors a lot, like probably my generation's children who grew up in a farm areas mm -hmm. had the same thing. So we, we spent a lot of time outdoors. Yeah. Wanted or not, you had to go outdoors to do stuff. And so I think that created the base, base for it that I'm not really wet, worried about weather. Yeah. And then, well, normal childhood, fishing, gathering mushrooms, berries, just normal outdoor stuff, mm -hmm. canoeing spending time on water and then when I turned 18 it was time to go to the army and I came here in eastern Finland North Korean Brigade and I started I started my military service here here and then somehow normally it lasts a year and then somehow I found out myself to stay in the army for 16 years wow okay <laughs> so and um, during those 16 years, I specialized in survival mm. in extreme conditions mm -hmm. in Finland. Mm -hmm. So by no means 
I have no idea of deserts or jungles or even North or South Pole. But for Scandinavia and inside of the Arctic Circle, mm. I'm I'm pretty good, I can say. Yeah. yeah. I mean. And of course, I served in a Finnish Ranger unit first, which is kind of a kind of a special unit. A lot of activities is trained behind enemy lines, so you learn move. You spend a lot of time in the outdoors. And then I switched there to the recon units. Mm -hmm. And I, my res responsibility was a survival training there. Again, this is time when Finland was not a member of European training system. So soldiers in Finland didn't go other countries for mm -hmm. Sere training, for example. Okay. We didn't have any Sere training system when I was in the army. Oh, it, it was just coming, but hardly no fin was there yeah so we had our own system and i'm product of that system yeah. basically which is pretty much probably the same still right. and well in the army i had a chance to spend quite a lot of time in outdoors every season every weather and after the army i resigned 2015 and I had to think again what I'm going to do with my life. I have one of the most expensive trainings in Finland behind me. But it was still quite hard to get job with that training. And I had to think, okay, how am I going to, how am I going to live my life? What am I going to do now that I am not in the army? Mm -hmm. And basically, there was two options, like we say. Either armed robberies or some sort of nature business. <laughs> And then my wife decided that we'll try the last one first. <laughs> so it was nature business and then I had to think again what I can do in nature business. Uh, uh. And I can train. Yeah. I have been doing that for 16 years. Right. I can educate people. Yeah. I, I know survival stuff enough that I'm comfortable of teaching it. Mm. And Bushcraft came also. I didn't know Bushcraft. We call it camping in Finland. Right, yeah. So, it's, it's uh, <laughs> <laughs> so the word came from Europe, and I was like, okay, Buskraft, then I checked it out, well, mm. normal camping stuff. Mm. I went to check a couple of uh, companies in Europe, what they're doing, and I was like, well, pretty much the stuff that I've been doing all my life, I can do this. Mm -hmm. And I can also put there a little bit from my previous job, yeah. mainly how to teach people and get them to learn, and also how to plan long-term training sessions, like one-week courses, for example. I have perfect location for it. Eastern Finland, this is like heaven for it. It's bushcraft warehouse. Yeah, it, yeah. pretty much it is. Yeah. So, uh, I had all the tools on my hands, and then I just decided that, okay, I'm going to try this. So, and that's how my company, Karo Survival, was born. Yeah, sometimes things just somehow fall into place, don't they, without... It just seems like, it's like, what can I possibly do? Yeah, yeah, it, it is, and I have to say that I have been also extremely lucky, because uh, when I was still in the army, I met my wife, and we went married, and I didn't know that one day my wife is going to be one of the most important part of my company, because mm -hmm. she owns communication company, and is professional photojournalist, and documentarist video, yeah. she makes videos, and all that stuff, so... At the beginning of my, when I, the company was born, the first year, she was a big help for me. 
of mm-hmm. course. Mm-hmm. It's it's a uh, yeah. Is, is it is it hard to kind of balance those things where you're you're trying to like focus on like doing good courses, good material, so and then oh, I have to think about Instagram and I have to think about. Like, in, I hate it. Yeah. I hate it. Yeah. Well, <laughs> two thousand fifteen when I left the army. It was summer, I remember I was in my wife's office sitting on a couch and then I, I said to my wife, honey, quick question, can you explain me what is Facebook? <laughs> Do I need to be there and is that any good? And my wife was like, come here, I'm going to tell you a couple of things about social media. I was like, oh shit, I'm, I'm in trouble. Oh, this, is, doesn't, this is not really for me. <laughs> had no idea of Instagram, anything, and I just had to like speed up and start learning it and how to use it yeah. because of course you have to if you are running company you also need to do marketing it yeah. doesn't come by itself no. but it, it was like a speed course for it mm. and I still struggle with it yeah uh, I probably I'm not doing as well as I should in whole social media scene no but you're genuinely stuff. thinking about it I mean it's one of the one of the first interactions that we had was kind of talking about that stuff was about how we can work together to like actually like help each other kind yeah, of yeah, yeah 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 and it's also because of the mutual friends because one of my friends of course, yeah. told that hey this Irish guy is living in Finland and he thought that he would like to come hunt with us and I was like well say tell him that he was more than welcome to come hunting with us yeah. well I'll uh, we'll, we'll have to take you up on that as well yeah <laughs> A little bit like that. Yeah, but t- talk to me a little bit about because it's something that we spoke about last night when we were sitting in here and it really struck a chord with me. Um, and it, I guess you were kind of just talking off the top of your head and it might be difficult to kind of like come back and talk about it a little bit. But I really enjoyed your, I think we have a similar sort of mindset about it is the pre- bubble wrap kind of mentality of people today. They Like they want to wrap themselves in protection away from the elements and it's like people are afraid to feel cold people are afraid to get wet you know and it's like the very thought of that drives people away from being outside yeah i I think what we are now experiencing not only in finland but globally is that we are isolating ourselves out of the nature we are so worried of to of protecting it, which is great, but we are also same time isolating ourselves out of the nature. Mm-hmm. It's like a this a bit scary, mysterious place that we need to protect, but it's also away from us. So mm-hmm. we're looking at like a distance that there is the nature, and it is dying, and we need to help it, but we same time we consider that we are not part of it, right. which we are, yeah. and. If you think like outdoor life, how it has evolved, let's say during the last 30, 40 years, it has gone way, it, it has evolved a lot, let's say this way. First of all, equipment have, they have got a lot better. And with those equipment, we can, like you said, we can isolate us from the nature. We don't have to feel wind anymore because we can put layers that will protect us from it. We don't have to feel rain anymore or wet or dampness of clothes because we can have rainproof gear that we can use hiking. Mm. We don't have to wear we don't have to worry coldness anymore because we have a gloves and jackets and boots that are heated up by batteries. Mm. 
And I think we, when we are isolating ourselves for those basic feelings of cold, wet, wind on our face, we are also isolating ourselves out of the nature. We should embrace that. We should embrace the feeling when the rain is coming down. We should embrace the feeling when we can feel the warmth afterwards we have been cold because that brings the feeling and that brings the, uh, what do you call it? Uh, the reward from yeah, it. Yeah, reward out of it. Yeah. And it, it also challenges us. Yeah. And nature should challenge us. Yeah. And that is something that I'm afraid we are losing. And pretty soon we don't want to challenge us. And when we don't want to challenge us, we don't want to go there. Yeah. Everything needs to be easy. Mm. Everything needs to be, uh, what's the word? Uh, like a spoon fed. <laughs> yeah, basically spoon fed. Yeah. Yeah. And then that also affects our way of what we're doing in a nature. I think that can also be dangerous because if somebody does, if they experienced it, now maybe it's like incremental, of course, but if somebody is spoon fed their nature, so to speak, and is protected from the harshness of it, they get a false sense of security then maybe like ah yeah like it's actually not as dangerous as as people make it well, out to be or it's not as the covid has shown us that sadly yeah. when covid hit 2000 uh, people couldn't travel anymore yeah. so they had to find activities nearby and then they discovered finnish nature and hiking culture yeah. which is great do stuff near you but that also created the situation where people started to do way too hard trips and hiking trips, way too less gear and without any knowledge of them. They watched a movie or they read a book where a lead character is challenging her or himself and does Appalachian trail and and then they think that, oh, I want to do that and I want to do it by myself so that I can discover myself and maybe start writing the book that I have always wanted to write. Yeah. And then they do, then they, they go and do it. Finland had, I think, over 300 rescue missions in a year because of that. New people. People get lost. They didn't have enough gear or the gear wasn't suitable enough. They went in the wrong time so they didn't check the weather. And sadly, some of those incidents ended death. Mm -hmm. So people, we had last year a young guy who went hiking, got lost and later on was found dead. Mm -hmm. Because, well, I'm not saying anything about this. I, I, I'm not going to judge him. I don't know the facts, but I know that a lot of people go there without enough skills and knowledge on what can go wrong. Mm -hmm. And especially spring and winter time, Wintertime nature is at its most beautiful, I think, but it's also ruthless. It's the only season when it actually can kill you quickly. Right. You get lost on summertime, you can spend overnight easily on July, August, and you maybe get a little it's bit cold. A week. Yeah. You get lost here on hard winter time when there's minus, over minus 10, minus 15, when last Wednesday before this course started was minus 20. You get lost there without yeah. proper gear yeah. and you die a lot faster. Yeah. And that's why I would say it is very important that when you start doing outdoor stuff, first of all, be truthful for yourself. Acknowledge your skills. Then start with small steps. 
buy the equipment, test the equipment in your yard, do the first trip near a pipe forest, near your home, where you can easily come back if it's not working. Mm -hmm. Then, first weekend trip, do it somewhere close again, where your car is so that if it goes sideways, mm -hmm. you can always go back to the car and drive back home, take sauna or then just take care of yourself and then try to do it again. Mm -hmm. And when you are comfortable of doing the weekend trips, then I always say hire a professional for the first expedition style trip. Right. So when it goes seven days or over, or let's say over five days, and you're going in a remote area where you haven't been before, take a guide with you. Yeah. His job is to show you the ropes, that way you won't do the mistakes that he might have done, mm -hmm. and you have like a soft entry mm -hmm. into the outdoor world in Arctic. Yeah. And that way it will become also a pleasant experience. Yeah, and, and I suppose the, the, that is probably the best way of doing it when we're talking about the um, someone who is somewhat sheltered from the elements, doesn't realize how potentially deadly they can mm -hmm. be. But on the other side of things, um, I guess how important is it to you to keep people comfortable versus kind of pushing them out of their comfort zone a little bit? Because I've spoken to Jeremias, who I do the podcast with here, and he says quite often guests will complain that they're cold. And now, of course, coldness is different for everybody. I will feel it differently than you will. But there's, a, there's somewhere between being cold and just being uncomfortable. And is it that they just don't like being uncomfortable? That's usually the case. Yeah. So How do you push people out of that? Like? Well, it's a tricky thing. and you, That's where the professional comes in. Right. It's like... And I don't, don't get this wrong way. It is a little bit like explaining for the children. Mm -hmm. You are feeling cold hands, you have a cold toes, you need to move. Start moving, doing things. You need to tell them that, okay, you need to move a little bit and it will come there. Coldness is the thing that comes with Arctic conditions, winter conditions. When there is uh, snow and temperature is minus 10 you are going to feel coldness and that's something that you need to first accept yeah it is part of this game you cannot escape it I have felt coldness every winter but I, I mentally I can deal with it I know where the limit is when it's going too far from me yeah. and then I need to start doing something for it but small coldness Occasionally it will visit mm -hmm. and then it will go away again. Mm -hmm. You do something that keeps you warm. Yeah. And also you learn tricks like if you're, let's say I'm hunting on winter mm -hmm. time. I, I insulate myself from the ground if I have to be long times in one place. So I put something underneath my boots so that I'm insulated from the snow also. I, I know that I need to put more clothing yeah. on my legs or let's say from the knees to my armpits I, I, I keep that part warm, warm. Yeah. Uh, I know a couple of tricks I, I move my toes when I'm if I'm if I need to be put I move my toes yeah. I have different systems to do it yeah. I move my fingers that sort of stuff yeah and I think the the knowledge and the the understanding what's happening in your body and knowing how to fix it and I'm not just talking about cold here, it could be anything, it could yeah. be thirst or hunger or yeah. whatever, or a heat stroke even. Um, 
I think when you're armed with those things, when you've kind of done a bit of, of the theoretical side of things, you understand those things, and then you get to feel those things in practicality. Like, let's for, say, for example, when you're talking about putting spruce branches under yourself, for example, mm. to remove yourself from the ground, um, obviously giving yourself a barrier against conductive heat loss. Mm. But that, to somebody, like, it would seem silly. Like, why would I put a couple of branches on my feet how is that going to stop me being cold yeah you know and it, and, and it, it doesn't it just helps out a little yeah it just helps yeah, a bit it's, it like helps it's marginal it. but it's all yeah. they, they add up it's compounding small smart the design. problem is you know. that uh, I, I it's also that because people haven't been feeling coldness even a little bit of coldness is too much for them mm. and then your job is to get them over that they will they will go out of their comfort zone for a moment mm -hmm. to realize that actually their comfort zone is a lot bigger yeah. than they thought. Yeah. And next time it's going to happen again. Yeah. It's a little bit the same, same thing as in here in this course, the sleeping in this course. Mm -hmm. First night we sleep it's in a, a cabin. perfect example. We, we yeah. sleep in a cabin. It's nice, a bit snoring, but still nice. <laughs> And then next night, we're going to go and we're going to go to the heated tent. Mm -hmm. It's still warm, but it's a bit crowded. Uh, there is the fact that there is snow underneath us, mm -hmm. so you need to deal with that. Mm -hmm. It's not as much room. And then the next night, we just leave the stove away. So now we're inside of the cold tent. And we test that. We have we proper... we prepare our gear, our sleeping bags, we go through what we need to do there. Mm -hmm. And then, after that night, we might sleep in Quincy or Snow Trench, depending on how fast you're digging your Quincy. <laughs> and so, little by little, we are going towards the goal, which is that you can actually feel yourself safe, and good under the stars. Yeah, it's a beautiful feeling, and, and I can only imagine for someone who hasn't done that before that will be such an, an, a life changing experience yeah. for them. Yeah. Like, and our job is to courage to take every day a new step yeah. forward yeah. on that path. Totally. And of course, there's a chance every night you can, you can always go back to the cabin if it's too much for you. Right. But then next night, you can again challenge yourself because we have time to do it. Mm. You can do it. And, okay, I'm, tonight, last night I was cold, but I'm, I'm, yeah. I have fixed these things. I want to try it again next night. Yeah, and the, the breathing room for, for these activities and to sort of to put, start to push yourself. And the other thing I like is the sort of, the, let's say, food, water, uh, um, rest. Mm. All of those things are prioritized to accommodate for actually learning and putting stuff in and then sitting in front of a, a, a PowerPoint document or a, you know a keynote presentation for mm. 20 minutes half an hour and then putting on the gear and going out and doing it after having looked at that it's a really nice way of, of balancing those things you know yeah I think I probably it's because of my military background right yeah I like to start with lectures, mm. and when I'm doing lectures, I like that they are visual, and I have, I, like you said, I have projector, I have PowerPoints, yeah. I have pictures, I have the whiteboard right. and the markers, yeah. and we're doing it, and roughly an hour time to go through the basics. So I want to sunk in the basic knowledge so that you are comfortable, you yeah. have your coffee, you yeah. do your notes. Yeah. 
I could do the same thing outdoors, but it wouldn't work that it way. It wouldn't sink in the way no, it was, no. Because you had all other things also in your mind. Cold feet. My legs are cold. Yeah, I'm standing. I, I, I need to write this down and then your mind goes somewhere else. 100%. This way, uh, like, like almost like a classroom environment, I can sink in the basic facts. And I'll take you out for the morning. Mm. We'll do those things. Mm. And I'll bring you back and I'll give you enough food that you feel that oh, I don't have to worry that either. Then we go again there to do these things. And the meals are designed, the t meal times are designed so that you have time to just also process the things that you have done last two hours. Yeah. Also talk about, talk about them, talk about other things and then go again and do yeah. it, do them yeah. again. It's a really nice layout. It's a very unique and it seems obvious and it's one of those things I always say if something seems obvious then it's, you know, the things that are stick out are the are the badly designed things yeah. it's like like using an app you know if it just works and it does what it's supposed to do and it like you click that button and it brings you to the page it's supposed to then yeah it works it's invisible it's, of course it works that way why would it work any other way but when something it's like what the fuck man i've pressed this and it won't bring me that and i can't find the colors mm. wrong it's, a, it's only when it's done wrong do you realize how mm. difficult it can be to get it right yeah and i think the same applies to this course. It feels quite seamless and it feels effortless. And it's just the information is just going in. Yeah. And it's honestly, I think it's you've, it's a beautifully designed course. I, I think it's... Well, really our main goal in this course is that when you leave here, mm. you have so much information and that you can start practicing these things and st start taking the steps by yourself. Yeah. So that you have confidence that, okay, I can do a weekend Arctic trip to that nearby forest easily. By myself. By myself. I can get more information and I can reproduce these skills to a new level. I can, I can like learn by myself now because I have the basics. So now I can start learning more and I can just, I can, let's say, you check from the manual, some outdoor manual, you check, oh, this looks interesting. Mm -hmm. And I can do this because I already have the basic skills. I understand mm -hmm. what this is. This thing is. Right. Outdoor, this might be harsh for some people, <laughs> but I'm going to tell you, outdoor bushcraft and survival training is not rocket science. No. It, common sense. It is common sense. <laughs> it is a simple things yeah. designed for simple people in very stressful environment, and if it's rocket science, they will die. <laughs> yeah, it's true. So, right. so yeah. they need to be very simple to do. Yeah. For example, bow drill. Right. You see a lot of videos where instructions are. In, well, the instructors are showing bow drills, and if every time I ask my students when they come for the basics, I ask, well, have you done bow drill fire? They, either they say no, it's 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 way off my skill level, or then I have tried, but it's it's so difficult, I can do, I cannot do it. And mm. I tell them, actually, it is very very simple, and I'm gonna guarantee that you are gonna do the boat drill fire this week because right. it was designed in a time when they didn't have tools like we have to produce the drill. It was designed in a time when they didn't have knowledge that we have. 
it was produced in a time when they didn't have clothing on like we have. So they had a lot of factors coming outside that would stress them. Mm. Somehow they still managed to do it quite often. So it needs to be very simple. It mm. needs to be something that they can take with them and every time they need to make fire, they need to be able to do it. And if you think that way, you understand that... Switch it, the mind. Yeah, it's actually, it's not about... It's not about the difficulty. Every skill has a technique. And there are, in that technique, there are usually a couple of details that need to be known. Mm. They are not difficult details, but you need to know them. And when you know the details, you can do the boat drill fire. Mm -hmm. You can do fire with a flint and steel. Mm -hmm. it's, it, it's not rocket science no. again. No, it's not. And I think, again, I think the, the Finnish or Scandinavian or Nordic mentality of these things, I mean, I've heard it from a couple of people, like you said earlier, and I've heard it before, where oh, all of these people were talking about bushcraft, but it actually, for us, it's just camping. And I think I really, some of the stories that you've told this week about like your dad bringing you ice fishing or, I don't know, I'm trying to think of like all of these stories about, or the old couple that were like, that were in their house when there was a power outage here yeah. for like three, <laughs> three weeks and yeah. they came to rescue them and they were like, no, we're fine. We've got our stove on and we've got, you know. Normal life. Yeah. And these are just average, like work, like hand workers. Yeah. You know, average I mean? people. Yeah. And I think that's a very unique attribute of the Nordics, um, that this just feels common sense to people, but you know, the old saying is like, the problem with common sense is it's not all that common. Mm. And uh, some people over, overly complicate the outdoors to make it feel flashier, make it feel difficult, and make it feel so difficult that you won't be able to do it without my help. You, have, you must pay me to help you do yeah. this because you will never figure it out by yourself. This yeah. is way too difficult. I'm going to do a 12-part video series on bow drill, for example. You know, yeah. it's like, fuck, man, come on. Yeah, it's a... Um the reason why you come for a course is like it's a shortcut. And then also you come there to meet other people. Mm. You, you come learn. Share ideas. Share ideas, but you also come learn like small details, yeah. something new that yeah. you can put in a toolbox. Yeah. But most of the stuff you can... I, 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 I claim that most of the stuff you can learn by yourself mm. If you put more effort and time on it, yeah. But usually you don't have the time to put it, mm -hmm. so you want someone to show it to you mm -hmm. so that it goes right at the first time. Yeah. And that's I like to do it that way. Yeah. I also I still feel that when I'm not teaching, and also when I'm teaching, I also learn something. And I'm <laughs> well, life is constant learning. I I go other people's courses. Mm -hmm. Also, and I do same stuff mm -hmm. that what I do. I go there and I yeah. learn it because yeah. I want to see how he's doing that thing. Yeah, and, like, exactly, yeah. totally. And it doesn't matter how long you've been doing it. Like, on like a lot of the stuff that we covered this week, like I think was quite lucky that first of all there was only three of us, no. me, me, Otto, and, and Howie, and you know, relatively like experienced in in certain areas yeah. throughout yeah. the week, and we were kind of able to help each other. Like sometimes, uh, like. Like how he's better with the kind of sh with the kind of snow shelters and things yeah. like that. Like obviously he's used to that. I was able to help them with like fire yeah. and, and with like you know knots and mm. you know, rape, like tarps and stuff. And like we were able to. Will I open this thing? It's smoky. Yeah. But we were able to kind of help each other out. But 
and it was it was that sharing of ideas but i can't tell you how much i've learned this week well you that know? is excellent because yeah. that's why you came here yeah to learn new stuff you were talking yesterday about how you try and um it's a technique that you use and i'm, I'm gonna try it myself the next time i'm out there and it kind of it's a it touches a little bit on a conversation that Jeremias and i had recently with toby corn about um baseline about finding your 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 place in nature mm-hmm. in terms of like sitting quietly and allowing the nature to start like kind of yeah. coming around you and kind of and things like that and you were talking about a technique where you kind of you shut off certain senses yeah so well for a hunter like me the sitting on put and waiting the nature to come to you that's one of the basic things mm-hmm. to do it but you have to also understand that the modern world has put our senses down quite a lot. We don't see in dark like our ancestors mm-hmm. saw. We don't hear as well as they heard. Yeah. Because we have we have constant like a stimulants. Stimulants coming, information is constant. We have artificial light. We we don't have to see that well anymore in the dark and we start adapt there. So what I, I, I do is I block senses, so I might go to the forest and then I, I, I block my eyesight, I block my hearing as well as it's possible and then I use my senses from my feet and my arms and I start touching things mm-hmm. in the forest. I might sit down somewhere and I, I touch my feet on the ground, what I can find there, and then I think, okay, needles, pine needles, mm-hmm. or I, I put my hands on the ground and I, I touch the leaves and like blueberries, lingonberries, this one is waxy, the leaf is waxy, or then I, I found the berries, these ones are soft, so these ones are blueberries, these ones are lingonberries, and I, uh, I would call it like reactivating the senses, mm. and it's great fun also. You can touch the surface of a pine, you know that it's pine, but you can touch it and you can feel how the bark is going, how the texture feels there. Mm. And you're basically that way, when you don't have the eyesight and you don't have the hearing, your fingers are producing most of the information for you at that time. And you can just concentrate on that. Same thing, you sit, but you close your eyes and you just concentrate on hearing and you start first you hear this uh, huge mat of sounds and then you start picking up from that sound cloud you pick up different sounds that is a bird those are leaves that is grass that is wind that sort of stuff yeah. same thing with seeing you block you're hearing and you concentrate only for the information that your eyes are bringing in. You start looking things. What do you see? And because you don't hear, let's say, for example, if, if I use my eyes and ears and I hear sound, I immediately my eyes go where the sound is. Mm, right. As a hunter, yeah. I hear deer coming, then I might like reflex turn my head to check it out, even though it might scare the deer. But uh, with this way, I block the hearing and I concentrate only what I see and then I start picking information, what I see there. Okay, there are blueberries, there are lingonberries, those are 
urchis are there, there are pines, there's wetland, there's copper kylie suddenly, or, so, and that, that's like reactivating each sense one at a time. Mm -hmm. And then, hopefully, when you have all the senses in use, you get a little bit more out of your surroundings. Yeah. If you understand what I, I mean. I totally understand what you mean. It's it's yeah. so cool. Like I can't wait to try that and I wanna couple it with the with the kind of um with the baseline techniques that I've also been trying to yeah. instill. I think two of those things together, um, will I think just really brings brings <laughs> the nature to so so to life for you. Yeah, and, and you try to sharpen your senses. Yeah, that's what I mean. Yeah. Yeah, and I probably being a hunter and it's one of the disadvantages I have I have never had to immerse myself in nature or in an environment like that to the point where I become essentially invisible to like to prey so to speak or to my to my prey if I am yeah. hunting but I, I I firmly believe it is it is in our DNA yeah. we are we what want. we call like apex predator of the nature yeah. we have the DNA yeah. what we are doing now is I think mo most of the time we, are, we we try to suffocate it because we have also a bit of a, like a load from our society. We think the moral things of killing, which is excellent. You need to think them. We think, is this right? And should I do it? And is meat eating right? And has that animal feelings? And what we are essentially doing is we are humanizing animals. Mm -hmm when they are not humans. Mm -hmm. But uh, at the same time, we are taking ourselves out of the ecosystem right. by thinking that we are not animals either. Right, right, right. And that is a big problem because yeah. we are part of the ecosystem. There's a place for us. We have been hunting and eating meat. We, we, we eat everything. There are animals who eat also berries. Berries, meat, we are just the same kind of animal in my book. Yeah. And it is very important that we are part of the ecosystem and we do those things because that's how, that's how we see also what happens in the ecosystem. Only difference is that we are the only animal who can actually do something about it. Because, well, we have broke it, so we need to fix it. And if we are part of it, we also can fix it. If I hunt in a certain area, I want it to be perfect. I want every creature to live there. Because then it's perfect for me also. Mm -hmm. If you understand what I'm I do. Here. And it's a yeah. misconception, isn't it, that people think that hunters don't give a shit about a you know, animals or protection or 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 the populations of let's say wolves in, in, in the United yeah, that, States, for that's, example. That doesn't or, yeah. apply. It's I, I think humans don't give a shit. Yeah, it's, right. it's, it's not hunters. Yeah. You can find those people everywhere. You mm -hmm. can find them also from the environment activists. Assholes. <laughs> yeah, that's basically the name for them. Yeah. So assholes are in every group of people are assholes, and they are putting down the group and its ideas. Yeah. And that that that's something that we just need to see yeah. and deal with. How do how do we like how do people in some way? And I'll leave you with this question because I know we kind of get on with the evening and kind of have our mm. have our sauna and stuff. But how do people? normal everyday people urbanites suburban people how do they find a way to like bring themselves a little bit back into these things because obviously not everybody can come and do a, a week-long arctic course 
Like oh, you don't have to do it. What? Well, how do we bring ourselves back to? You have to take the first step into the nature. Yeah. Go. You have to go, actually, and spend some time there. Yeah. It it can be half an hour. It can be one hour. You don't have to immediately start doing seven day or more expeditions. You can do it little by little, learning. Yeah. And then also one thing that is excellent, which I have to say works really well, is that you can also watch what other people are doing. Because even though social media uh, in many cases gives you a wrong picture, I found that also there are a lot of good content in it. Let's say YouTube. Right. You're going to find some, what do you call it, cat films. Right. And then you can find some very high quality nature documentaries that are shot by ordinary people. Yeah. They are doing ordinary stuff and they might be the first step into the nature. So if you are in your apartment in the middle of the city and you don't have nothing to do, start first checking out what the nature actually looks like and you can just check it out from your phone. Yeah. So then, and then the next step is that go actually see it by yourself. Yeah. And you're gonna go just nearby area, go to the park and see that how the trees are and yeah. I would say so little steps. I will never forget the excitement of discovering bushcraft and the kind of the, the community of it and what the first thing I did was I went on YouTube mm. before and I found MCQ, which is a guy mm. I was talking to you about recently. He has a really amazing um series on his channel of bushcraft basics, mm. everything from fire lighting, bow drill, knife, types of knife, water filtration, tarps, mm. everything basic that you need to know. Yeah. And I absorbed that shit so hard. Like, it's so like, I yeah. just wanted to bring all the information in. And I will, I must say that at certain points I have felt like I've, I kind of plateau and I can't reach it. I'm trying to struggle to kind of get to a, to a new level. And I must say that having spent the week with you uh, here uh, with you and Rick, like, I feel like, I feel like that again. I've I've got a new a new sense of like what is possible to achieve within sort of uh, my outdoor education. And uh, thanks so much for yeah for having me along, man. It's no problem. It's and awesome. I also it's always important to remember that it's not about training. It's also about just doing. Experience. It's yeah. just going there and doing the stuff. You know how I learned outdoor stuff. Well. Basically, just following my dad. Right. He didn't tell me that, okay, son, come here. I'm going to show you how you're going to do feather sticks. And this he, is he how you, watched. you This is how you carve. And this, they will curl left and right. And you do it. I just followed him. I ate rocks. Checked <laughs> how he was, he was doing fire. And he didn't tell me that, come here. And I will teach you yeah. now how to make fire. I just observed every time, yeah, he's using birch bark. Yeah. And then it just somewhere went there, yeah. birch bark. And then one day he gave me a, I, well, one day I said to him, I think I was five or six, five probably, and I told him that I want to have my own knife. Because every guy, every boy had their own knife. And I was like, I want to have it. And then my dad said, okay, come here. And then he went inside and he brought his fishing knife, sharp as hell, yeah. ugly as Hell, also, it wasn't like the, I was like, okay. It was a beat of pieces. Yeah, 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 but it was very sharp. And then he's, he just gave it to me. My knife training lasted maybe 10 minutes. He said, never carve like this between your crow wings. Mm -hmm. Go to the side. Mm -hmm. 
Always put on a sheet when you're moving, mm -hmm. never run with knife. <laughs> Don't carve against yourself because that in that age yeah. it was allowed, even sure. though he did it. Yeah. And of course I started to do it. It's nothing wrong to carve against yourself. Sure, sure. And then then he said, and then when you cut yourself, don't cry. <laughs> Tell me I'll put a plaster on. And then he left me in the side of the house where we had a lot of firewood sitting. I was there with the knife, five year old, yeah. sharp as hell. And I took a piece of wood and started carving. Learned by myself. Yeah. And then eventually I cut myself. I went inside and said, well, and my dad said, was, that's how you learn. Yeah. And then he put a plaster and said, continue. Right. And after that, I had my own knife. I, I could store it on my own table. I could take it on my own time. And that was basically start of my knife training. Yeah. And the same way everything went. You just follow and you start doing things. And you were brave enough to do things. Yeah, I love um, it. Yeah, cool man. Thanks so much. It's no, awesome. no problem. Yeah, it's it was a great week. very nice. Yeah, great, cool. Well, uh, guys, thanks for tuning in, and um, we'll be back really soon. And now we are going to. It's our last evening, so we're gonna go get some sauna. We're gonna have another beer, I think, and uh, maybe a bit of a debrief. And tomorrow I head back, and then the following week after that, I'm heading up to. Jeremias's place where we do something similar to this but more of a sort of a, a, a conversation learning kind of space so uh, we'll obviously be uh, doing a podcast there as well so stick around for that and uh, yeah until then thanks man and yeah take yeah, care yeah thank you let's go have some moose let's stew let's do it oh moose stew yeah we're gonna have that